morning, everybody. <clears throat> How are you this morning? Are you ready to worship with us? All right, let's stand up. We are excited to worship with you.
victory The King of love had given up his life The darkest day in history They're on a cross they made for sinners
save us as sinners who did not deserve to be saved. We thank you for that this morning. As we bring our praises, we give you glory and honor in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. It is great to see you this morning. Whether you're here in person or online, we are so excited to have you here. Would you take those books that are on the end of your pews to your left, fill that out for us, and let us know that you are here. Um, if you're online, get the app and uh, text guest to 833-CHAT-NCC if you don't have the app, and let us know that you're here that way. We just love to know that you're here, and uh, we appreciate you filling those out. Um, we're doing something really cool right now. It's called the uh, Samaritan's Purse Christmas Child, Operation Christmas Child. And it's those shoe boxes that are out in the hallway. You can fill those up, take one, do it as a family, do it individually, whatever you wanna do. It's a really, really cool thing that we can do that and send those off to children. And I just wanted to tell you a quick story about that. A friend of mine, uh, one of my best friends, she went on a mission trip to Honduras once. And they happened to be there when Samaritan's Purse was gonna be giving these boxes out. And that is a really cool thing for them to be able to be a part of that and hand these boxes to these kids, because we as a church at that time, we, we did this too. And it was really cool for them to see them actually going to the kids and being a part of giving those to those children. And she said that in itself was just an amazing, amazing experience. But what they witnessed during it was seriously a miracle. As they were handing boxes out, kids just kept coming and coming and coming. And they knew they did not have enough boxes. There was, they counted and recounted and recounted several times and they knew they were going to be short and kids kept coming. And they got through the line of kids and they had enough and they had more than enough. So, I mean, God, yeah, it is amazing. God loves the children and he cares for them and he cares about these little things like this. And you being a part of that is such a cool thing. So I really encourage you to grab one of those boxes and take that and fill those out. And your giving, we worship in our giving. That's a way to worship in your giving. It, you give so that we can do things like that. We do things all over the world. We're a part of that in our community and around the world. And your giving really helps with that. So if you have cash or check, you can throw those in the boxes in the back. If not, you can use the app online. And with that, we're going to get into the rest of our series. Now, every week you want to sing, right? just happens. How is everybody? Awesome. Good day yesterday for some of you. Some not so much. And uh, yeah. Hey, um, the, I, I'm, I'm jazzed to be here. Uh, grateful for the chance to speak and to speak into this series, Experiencing God. Um, nine years ago, I was serving a church in Ohio. And I had a clear sense about nine years ago that my 
role at the church was coming to a, uh, coming to a close. And so we began to talk to some folks, get some counsel. Um, we, out of that conversation, it became clear to us that, yeah, that was exactly what was happening, that God had, had taken us to a place um, that, that that chapter of our life was done. I went ahead and resigned, not really knowing what was next. And I remember the first few months of, um, of 2014 being this strange time where I wasn't working and I was doing all the things that I knew to do um, to try and open up conversations with churches uh, about going to serve with them. You know, I, I had contacted all my network of friends and people and stuff, and, and nothing was going on. There was no conversation that was happening back. Um, God showed his love through, to us through that time. He provided for us during that time that I was off staff and, and, and just kind of waiting. We never wanted for anything. God, God really just showered his love on us. But I remember waiting and waiting and waiting. Um, I, I had served previously in ministry. I had served about 17 years as a music minister uh, and an associate minister in, in a couple of different churches. I had gone to a, a Christian college and was the head of the music department uh, for four years and, and had trained people to do ministry. I had then come back into the church and was and had served in kind of a leadership role at a couple of different churches. And so I anticipated that God was going to take me into another step of that in terms of a leadership role. And I remember when a guy called from a search firm um, that that God had kind of worked through all of the, the arrangements to, to bring us together. And he said to me, have you ever thought about being a lead pastor? And I said, yeah, I have. I don't think that's what I'm supposed to do. Um, and, and he said, well, um, what about if it was an unconventional lead pastor position? That was, that was the line that he said. And somewhere in that, um, there was this sense of God making some connections that had me at a place where I was open for the first time um, you know, in, in 35 years to saying, um, maybe I should be open to God taking me to that place where I would step into a role as lead pastor. Um, just a few weeks before that, I had gone through an interview where that same question had come up and I had just said with, with some definition, no, that's not what I'm supposed to do. And yet in the midst of that, I felt like God had been speaking to me to say, are you sure, are you sure that's true or not? Um, when I talked to Stu that afternoon in the car, in my driveway in Lebanon, Ohio, because we didn't have cell service in the house, um, I faced a crisis of belief. It really was that moment where you say, okay, am I gonna trust myself, the things I know about me, the skills, the, the, the network, all, am I gonna trust me or I'm gonna trust that God is in this, that he's working and that he's been preparing me for something different. The crisis of belief, that's, that's kind of where we're, where we're at in this series called Experiencing God. Um, if you've got the book, if you've looked, if you know the, the, um, 
the diagram, that funny diagram that's there, it's, it's that God is always working around us. God is at work in the world around us all the time. Trust that, know that. I don't know if you could see that very well or not. It's kind of on the orange background. But God's always working around us. Um, and he pursues this love relationship with us. In his work, he is all the time telling us, I love you, I'm gonna take care of you. I have everything that you need, you can trust me. And then he invites us into his work. Um, he, he begins to say, hey, this work that I'm doing, would you come alongside me? Would you be a part of that? And in that invitation, when God speaks to us, we begin to discern his voice through scripture, through prayer, through the counsel of the church, and through circumstances, through things that happen around us that say, oh yeah, God is at work in this. And it all leads us to that place where we face that moment, that crisis of belief, where we say, am I in or not? Am I gonna say yes or no? Am I gonna trust God? Or am, am I gonna trust what I know I can touch and feel and I can be secure in? Um, when you recognize God's voice as he speaks to you through scripture, as he speaks to you through prayer, as he speaks through um, the ways that he's working around you, as he speaks through the church, he invites you to take another step, a new step in your relationship with him. When that happens, you've got to decide, am I going to let go? Am I going to hold on? Am I going to say yes? Am I going to say no? Am I going to walk with him where he leads? Or am I, am I going to go the path that I know is right for me? Crisis seems to me like a bad word for this, a crisis of belief. Um, and, and, and crisis, um, maybe it's not the right word. It, it is in the sense that there's this tension that we live in in that moment of crisis. But it, it really is a crossroads. It's are we going to go with God or are we going to go um, on our own? Are we going to go according to what we know? Are we going to follow God's prompting or are we going to trust ourselves? I, I want to take some time this morning to just kind of reinforce this from scripture. I want to look, uh, if, I've, if I've got time, to go through five different encounters. But these five encounters in scripture are really just snippets, they're pictures, because anytime God did anything significant in anyone's life, there was always a crisis of belief. There was always a time where, where that individual would come to a crossroads and say, God, am I in or not? Do I trust you or not? And they would proceed forward. It wasn't always positive. It, you know, they didn't always say yes. But let me, let me share five. If you've got your Bibles, uh, take them out. If, you've got, um, if you have the app, open that up. The scriptures will be on the screen as well. I'm going to start in the Old Testament and, and just look at a couple of times in the Old Testament where this happens, where this crisis of belief becomes so clear. In the book of 1 Kings, God sends the prophet Elijah to this town named Zarephath that uh, it's not really known for much in scripture except this particular incident that happens. God tells this prophet Elijah that there's this woman who lives there who's a widow um, that uh, is going to take care of him. There's a famine going on in the land because Elijah has prophesied and said, it's not going to rain until I say so. And God, God had told him to say that to King Ahab and it hadn't rained. So as famine, everything had dried up. This drought had taken over everything. And he goes to this little town, to this widow where all the crops had failed. There's not really any food available. Um, Elijah finds this woman, this widow, and he asked her for a drink. And he, then he asks her to make some bread for him to eat. 
The woman knows that he's a prophet, but basically says, you know, I can't give you what I don't have. I've got just enough oil, just enough flour to make just a little bit, like a biscuit for my son and I to share, and then we're gonna die because we're starving. Um, she has just enough wood to start a fire. Um, and and this, is, this is what we find in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 13. Elijah said to her, look, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. This woman's starving to death. She's got just enough for she and her son and then they're gonna die. And Elijah says, you know what? Go ahead and make your biscuits, do your stuff, but feed me first and then, and then your son and you. And God's gonna take care of you. She faced at that point, crisis of belief. Does she believe God or not? If you were in that place where you were down to your last resources and it was clear that there was a word from God that said, this is what you're supposed to do. Give that away for the purposes of the kingdom in some way, your time, your energy, your talent, your treasure, whatever that is, what would you do? Verse 15, she went away and did just as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil didn't run dry in keeping with the word the Lord had spoken by Elijah. She faced the crisis of faith. She said yes. And God came through in ways that she couldn't imagine. God, God's word was true. He took care of her. Later in the Old Testament, the Jews are in exile. Um, the Jewish nation is exiled. They've been banished from their homeland, from Jerusalem. They've been transplanted into a foreign land, into a foreign culture. And they appear to have been forgotten by God. They've, they've been taken over and just forsaken. One of the young Jewish men who are placed in this new culture in a leadership training program by the Persians is, this, is a guy named Daniel. Um, Daniel is gifted. He's a gifted leader. He's a gifted thinker. He's a gifted administrator. And so he's fast-tracked in this leadership training program to have power and authority in the Persian kingdom. As a result, there's 120 people from all over the world that are in this leadership training program, and 119 of them say, we don't like Daniel going to the head of the class. We're going to take him down. So they start gunning for him. They try and find a way that they can destroy his reputation, they can discredit him, that they can destroy his career. They get the king, King Darius, to covertly pass a law that would prohibit prayer to anyone except the king because Daniel is known for praying to God. Daniel chapter six says this, starting in verse seven. All the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, satraps, advisors, governors, have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict that for 30 days, anyone who petitions any god or man except you, O king, will be thrown into a lion's den. Therefore, your majesty, establish the edict, sign the document so that it is a law of the Medes, as a law of the Medes and Persians, it's irrevocable and cannot be changed. So King Darius signed the written edict and Daniel faced a crisis of belief. Did he, would he rationalize and say, well, I can still pray, but just do it privately? 
Can, sh- should I just stop praying because that's the law of the land? Uh, he, he essentially faced this challenge that was a death sentence if he continued to do what he had been doing in praying to God. What would you do if you were faced with a death sentence for choosing your relationship with God and living that out in the way that God had called you to do? Verse 10, when Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in its upstairs room opened toward Jerusalem and three times a day he got down on his knees, prayed and gave thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Crisis of belief. He says yes to God. And, and many of you know what happens in the story. He ends up being thrown into the den of lions, to these lions that are ready to devour him. And God preserves him. He protects him during that night. He takes him out of the, out of the lion's den. And uh, the guys who caused the king to sign the edict end up being thrown into the lion's den. And the lions eat, eat them instead of Daniel. Um, crisis of faith. And Daniel said, yes. Mark records an event early in Jesus' ministry that describes that same type of crisis of belief. Mark chapter one, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting the net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. I'll make you fishers of men. What would you have done? What would you have done in that moment? If God spoke with you clear, with, if God spoke to you today with clarity and said, quit your job, leave your family, walk away from all of your education and training, I'm gonna prepare you for a life of ministry, of kingdom work that's gonna make a difference in eternity. What would you do? How would you respond to that? There was no mistaking this call from Jesus. It was crystal clear. It was specific. It was direct. It was personal. Simon Peter and Andrew faced a crisis of belief and they had to make a decision that would alter the course of their lives. Let's keep going. Verse 18 says this. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Uh, Mark goes on in just the next few verses, if you've got your Bible open, because the exact same thing happens with James and John. Verse 19, when they had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired men and followed him. When God calls, when God speaks to you and says, this is what I want you to do, Here, here's what I want you to walk away, with from, uh, walk away with this morning out of this message. Say yes to God when he calls. Whether it's a big thing, a little thing, when you face that crisis of belief, say yes to God. Confirm it with scripture, with prayer, with counsel from the church, with the, the ways that God is working in the world around you. But say yes to him. So much of the time, and I'm, I'm speaking in, in, uh, from my own perspective, from my own life. When I face that crisis of belief, I kind of put it on hold. I say, God, I'm not sure. I know you've spoken, but I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do because this just doesn't make sense to me. 
and I kind of push it aside. Hear me in this. When we push that decision aside, um, we make a decision. We're not saying yes to God in that moment. When that's been confirmed through scripture, through prayer, through the church, through circumstances, say yes to God. Later in Jesus' ministry, when he'd been teaching and ministering to people and he was just exhausted, he sends his disciples to sail across the Sea of Galilee during the night and he goes into the mountains to pray. As they're sailing across the Sea of Galilee, a storm comes up that's making the seven mile journey, it's at least seven miles across the Sea of Galilee, it makes it very, very difficult and they're sailing very formidable in, in the storm. In the middle of the night, I, I'm thinking maybe as lightning cracks on the shoreline around, they see this creature coming to them across the water, on the water, to them in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And they do what any rational person would do. They freak out, right? There is... They've never, they've been, many of them are fishermen, but they've never seen anything like this, that someone would be walking on top of the water towards their boat in the middle of, of the Sea of Galilee. They're, they're um, scared to death. Um, Matthew describes it this way in Matthew chapter 14. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me, come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Talk about a crisis of belief. Not talking about moving your family, you're talking about getting out of boat in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, certain death. And yet Jesus said, come. Was Peter going to take Jesus at his word and do something that no one in history has ever done before? Or was he going to be rational and do something that made logical sense? I, as I was thinking about this particular passage, I was thinking that in terms of the crisis of belief, I think that the other 11 disciples in the boat had a crisis of belief as well. They, they have to be thinking at that point in time, if he gets out of the water, what do we do? Am I going to jump in the water and save him? Should I tackle him now and not let him get out of the water? Because what, what they, they've got their own stuff going on because they've seen this encounter. They've heard this conversation that Jesus has with Peter and they've seen Jesus walking across the water. Verse 29 says, then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Those who were in the boat worshiped him and said, truly, you are the son of God. When God calls and we face that crisis of belief, and we say, yes, we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. We've got to keep listening to God speak through scripture, through the counsel of the church. We've got to continue to pray. We've got to continue to be looking for him around us. Because as soon as we take our eyes off him, we start to drown. 
even when God has called us, but he's there to pick us up. One, one last encounter takes place in Luke chapter five. Um, Jesus is teaching and uh, he's in Capernaum and he's teaching in this house and there's lots of people in the house, uh, all kinds of people around. And there's this guy who's paralyzed and his friends bring him on uh, like a stretcher uh, kind of thing. And they take him to bring him to Jesus to have Jesus heal him. Well, there are so many people around that they can't get into Jesus. So they take the back steps up, uh, up the side of the house, go to the flat part of the house uh, on top of it and begin to peel away the pieces from the roof to lower this man into Jesus' presence to ask Jesus to heal him. It's, it's interesting if you can picture it in your mind, there's stuff falling from the ceiling. Jesus is talking, Jesus has got to look up and he looks up at this guy and says, hey man, your sins are forgiven. And the people who are in the house, the people who are all around, they flip out and go, who is he to say his sins are forgiven? And Jesus calls them on it. Verse 23, Luke chapter five, which is easier to say, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Don't miss this in the midst of the bigger message. Whatever your story is, whatever your past is, Jesus either has the authority to forgive sins and to change the trajectory of your life, or he doesn't. I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And this man who was paralyzed, maybe from the waist down, maybe more than that, was faced with this crisis of belief. He's not walked, he can't take care of himself. And Jesus says, stand up, take up your mat and go home. Crisis of belief. Can Jesus really do that? Um, let's go ahead. Uh, verse 25. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Don't miss this. Every significant event in scripture involves a crisis of belief for the humans who are involved, for the, for the people who are there. A moment in time where a person has to decide, do I take God at his word? Do I listen to him? Do I obey his calling, his nudge, his ask that he makes of us? Or do I not? Do I follow what I want or do I follow what God wants? I would submit to you that as you look back on your spiritual life right now, if you look back on the trajectory of your walk with God over the history of your life, every significant spiritual event that has happened in your life, there has been a crisis of belief for you where you've said, am I in or out? Do I believe or not believe? Will I say yes or will I go my own way? It's not a crisis in the sense of calamity, but it really is a crossroads. The question for us 
in the midst of our study right now is whether we will accept God's invitation to join him in the work that he's doing in your life, in the life of the church, in your family, or will you trust yourself, your own ability, your own intellect, your own schedule, your own desires for your life? This is, my, this is how my life is planned. Will I trust that or will I trust God? When God speaks and we recognize his voice, and again, let me just reinforce what we said the last two weeks. We recognize his voice through, God, through what God says in scripture. We recognize his voice through how he speaks to us when we pray, when we're quiet, when we listen, the nudges that he gives us in those times. When God speaks through scripture, through prayer, through the counsel of the church or other godly people, when God speaks through the circumstances that are, that are happening in our lives around us, we're put in a position where we have to say, am I in or out? Will I follow or not? Will I do what God has called me to do or not? Henry Blackby says it this way, when God tells me what he wants me to do, I will face a crisis of belief. Um, you may think that it's not that big a deal, that if you don't respond now, you can say yes later. Sometimes that's true, sometimes not. Maybe, maybe these things are not huge things. Maybe they're just a nudge, a nudge from Jesus. Maybe it is a big thing. Maybe it's the nudge that you're sensing right now. Should I give my life to Jesus completely? Should I let go and let him have complete control? Maybe it's the kind of nudge that, that, that you know what's going on in your work life and and, and the Holy Spirit is prompting you. God is speaking to say, you know what? You need to speak out. You need to speak in opposition to some stuff that's going on that's unfair or that's illegal or that's unethical that's going on at work. Maybe that nudge from God is not to pick up your family and move to another area. Maybe it's to just simply go um, rake the leaves of your neighbor. And you're having this conversation because God's saying, oh, you should do that. And you're thinking, I don't want to do that. I want to watch football, right? Uh, you're going through that process. Maybe it's to put something in the offering here at church or begin to give regularly to God's work here. Maybe it's to buy lunch or dinner for somebody that you know that doesn't have much money. It may not seem like, any, like that much of a big deal, but it is because what's at stake is not whether we buy someone lunch or not. It's not whether we put $5 or $50 or $500 in the offering here at church. What's at stake is whether or not we recognize and trust the voice of God and whether we're willing to obey him or not. That's the issue. Uh, the, the specific circumstances are not that important. It's whether or not we hear and recognize God's voice and say yes. James chapter two says this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there's one God, that's great. 
Even the demons believe that and shudder. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. We, we can say that we believe in God all that we want, that our faith is strong, that, that our faith is the most important part of our lives, that it's the core of who we are. But that faith doesn't mean anything if it's not put into action. If when God calls us, we don't say yes. Um, I, I don't know what it looks like in your life, but I can tell you this from my life. This, this uh, crisis of belief that happens more times than not is not about big things. It's not about moving to another part of the country. It's not about um, you know, changing jobs, that kind of thing. More times than not, it really is that nudge to say, why don't, why don't, you, go, why don't you go rake your neighbor's leaves? Why don't you invite that couple out for lunch that you don't really know? And it'll be a little bit weird, but why don't you do that? Why don't you, why don't you put some money in the mail to this person or that person? Why don't you write a note of encouragement to this person? It's little stuff, not the major things. Um, genuine faith, genuine faith is always demonstrated by action. I know you're here, so you've got faith in God that you're here waiting for him, but know that that's gotta be lived out that when God speaks, you say yes. What we believe about God has got to determine what we'll do and how we'll live. If I believe God is speaking to me, I'm going to listen to him. If I believe that God is going to take care of every need that I have, I'll take action. It'll change the way that I deal with my stuff. If I believe that God's way is better than mine, I'll have the boldness to do something that the world thinks is foolish, and I'll accept those consequences. If I believe that God will judge everyone fairly, I can forgive and not take revenge on people who have hurt me. If I believe that God's plan is better than mine, I will approach pain and illness and struggle as an opportunity to be drawn closer to Jesus and not as the, this idea that God has rejected us in that, because of that pain. What I believe about God will determine how I live. The converse of that is true as well. What I do reveals what I believe about God, regardless of what I say. Even if I say everything's under control, that God's in charge. What I, but if my life doesn't match up with that, it, what I do reveals what I believe about God. If, if I hold on to my money because I don't trust the church or think people in need are irresponsible or because I like the freedom that, that my financial resources give me, I can say that I trust God all I want, but I really trust myself and I trust that money. If I find that my job or my cottage or my kids travel or my night classes or my hobbies keep me from church most Sundays or from being in life group or from serving somewhere in the body, I can say I believe 1 Corinthians 13 that says we're all a part of the body of Christ. But my priorities demonstrate something different than that. What I truly believe determines what I do and what I do demonstrates what I really believe. Uh, 
Now, before you take dramatic action and go home and quit your job today, all right? Let me give you a word of caution. Before I call myself or my family or my church to exercise faith, I've got to be sure that I've heard a word from the Lord, that it's from him, that it's not from a neighbor, it's not from a parent, it's not from, that it's from the Lord. How do you know that you've heard a word from the Lord? It's what we've talked about those last two weeks. It's gonna be confirmed and affirmed in what you read in scripture. It's gonna be confirmed and affirmed in your prayer time as you listen for God to speak. It's gonna be confirmed or affirmed by people in the church who are wise, who are godly, who can speak counsel into your life. It's gonna be confirmed or affirmed in the circumstances that are going on around in your life right now. This crisis of faith is real. It's real in my life. It's real for us as a church as well. Um, at the end of May, Jake and I made a trip to Kenya to consider whether we might partner with an organization named Mission of Hope International, MOHI for short, to build a school and a church in Kenya. Um, scripture is clear about the need for good news to go to all people all around the, all around the, the globe. God's heart for the poor, for the marginalized, that, that's clear in scripture. Mohi is this ministry that began in the slums of Nairobi, Kenya, to uh, teach children that had no hope of going to school. They were too poor. They lived in a place where they couldn't go to school. They couldn't, they weren't, uh, they, they didn't have uniforms. They just didn't have the resources to go. As a result, their future was pretty clear. They were gonna live their lives in the slums. They were gonna die in the slums their impact on Nairobi or Kenya or on the world would be little more than a blip on the radar and a really short lifespan. Over the years, people began to hear about Mohi and the work that they were doing. And God brought the resources together to create a school for the children that were living in the slums. One school became two schools and then five schools and then 10 schools, each one bringing hope to the poorest of the poor in Kenya who were living in horrible physical conditions. And the hope was because of Jesus. As God began to work in greater and greater ways, the schools began to provide medical resources for the students and their families, training for jobs when they graduated from school, micro-enterprise opportunities for the families of the, of the, um, of the kids who were in the school. Um, families that were just desperate to just have food for their kids to survive each day. And churches began to be planted in conjunction with the schools so that the kids and their families could worship together. They could find transforming hope in Jesus um, on a weekly basis. When we were there in June, we learned that Mohi has planted schools and churches in 30 locations in Kenya that they're reaching 22,000 children in those schools. Those locations are in inner city slums. They're in the poorest rural areas in the far reaches of the country. Their goal, their dream is to have, uh, is to have 100 schools and churches in Kenya to reach 100,000 students by the year 2030. In just seven, eight years. The need's real. We can be a part of meeting that need. Jesus said in scripture, again, affirming, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. 
When we came back, when Jake and I came back to share with the leaders at North Point about this opportunity that exists, there was a genuine excitement among the eldership as we talked about what God is doing through Mohi. There was only one problem. Our giving at North Point has significantly declined in this past year. Um, while we're dealing with rising costs like everybody else with inflation, all those kinds of things, that's not the, the problem's not with spending. The problem is that, that um, there's less giving. Less people are given. People, many people are, are giving less. So what do you do with that? There's this need, and yet this way that doesn't make any sense. It's that crisis of belief. God brought our attention, uh, brought Mohi to our attention in a way that only God could. The, uh, the dots connected, it was only by God's hand that that happened. He provided the resources for Jake and I to be able to go and to check it out. The need to plant churches among the poorest of the poor is clearly a priority in scripture. We prayed about the opportunity and God seems to be calling us to move forward and to partner with Mohi uh, to plant a school in a church in a community in Southern Kenya, close to the Indian Ocean. The conservative cost to start that is $50,000 and we don't have it. It's, it's just not there. We couldn't risk realistically budget for it this next year. Um, from our point of view, the thing that makes the most sense is to simply say, you know what? Sorry, that's a real need. We can't help. In experiencing God terminology, we would say we can't join God where we know that he's working and that doesn't seem right. There's that crisis of belief. So what do we do about that? I wanna ask you as the church to just begin to pray about whether or not God wants us to join him in that and to, and to help plant a school and a church in Kenya. We're gonna do a special offering at Christmas time to see if God will provide that $50,000 that it would take to plant the church, to launch the school, um, I'm, I'm sharing that with you now because if that resonates in you, if, if you have this sense, oh, I think God's in there. I've, I know people in Kenya. I've heard about Kenya. I've seen, I've seen documentary about Kenya, whatever it is. If God's working in that and, and, and creating that in you, maybe you can be a part of that. Pray about it. See if God speaks to you as you read his word. See if Kenya or kids raised in hopeless poverty comes into your sphere of awareness. Um, as I bring the message to a close, I just want to reinforce, I wanna encourage you, I wanna challenge you again to respond to God's prompting. Some of you this morning, it's just real clear that you know what your crisis of belief is about right now. There's this thing that's going on. And you're thinking, I think that this is what God wants me to do. I, God's working. I think I'm supposed to join him in this. But I don't know how much sense that makes. I don't know how rational it is. I don't know if I have the resources to be able to do it. I want to encourage you, put your faith into action and say yes to him. A crisis of belief means that God is stretching me and that he's going to take me to a place that I've never been before. Um, nine years ago, if I had to... If, if I had to decide if I would say yes to God as I faced that crisis of belief, I wouldn't know where I would be today. To say yes for me in that crisis of belief would mean that I would move to that state up north. To say yes 
would mean that I'd be in a different kind of a role, one that would have me uncomfortable in that. To say yes would mean that I would come to a church that at that point was hurting and wounded. To say yes would mean that we would be stretched in ways that we never anticipated. We all face crisis of belief. And when we say yes, God does immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. He shows himself and we get to experience him in our lives. We get to see him working in cool, cool ways. Um, the, at the end of second service, um, a 10-year-old boy named Alexander Bates is gonna be baptized. He's, he's experienced that crisis of belief where he said, you know, I've got to decide, am I gonna say yes to Jesus for the rest of my life or no? Maybe that's where you are. Maybe that's a decision that you need to make as well. Whatever it is, I would encourage you as we sing this last song to pray, to ask God to speak and for you to respond and say yes. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you. Um, we thank you that you are at work around us all the time. And um, God, I thank you for the way that you are opening up our eyes to help us see that more and more. Um, God, help us to hear your voice clearly, to know how much you love us and help us, God, in that moment of crisis of belief to take action. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together, let's sing.